You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Five, four, three, two, and one. Yo, what's up? It's Anthony Manuel and Dr. William Raybar for episode 19, technically 20 if we count that one interview episode that we did with the GLS guys. But episode 19 for the official episode count of the Art of Move podcast. We're pretty stoked to be back. Um, I got my slant boards here. Will's got his hot rock to get some, uh, you know, some good foot comfort. We're, we're set. We're ready for this episode. Last episode, we kind of talked about elastic energy and tissue quality versus muscular force, uh, which was a pretty cool episode. And I mentioned at the end of that episode, I wanted to get more into practical sort of information in terms of how you can start thinking about what you can actually do. Like what, like we've talked so much about the theory, the reasoning, the, the conceptual and maybe scientific side of things. We've barely dipped into practical or philosophical elements of movement. This is the art of move. We've talked about the, the, the science of move quite a bit. So let's get more into the art side. Specifically, what I wanted to talk about today was we've mentioned this a few times in previous episodes is this paradigm shift from thinking about how you condition your body from just like maybe an hour training every day to thinking about how you move in every moment throughout your day and shifting from this paradigm of having a training program versus a movement practice, having, uh, you know, a program that you do, you know, just for, you know, like a fraction of your day versus an ongoing movement practice where you are embodying movement just in a different way. So it's almost more, it's, it's going from maybe like a, a pointed approach to more of a lifestyle change. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, I think there's still, you know, there's, there's definitely points where it's appropriate to use training programs, but I think there still needs to be a global uh, understanding of movement as a whole as part of your lifestyle. And I kind of wanted to talk about that. So Will, um, you know, since you were kind of the first person to sort of talk to that about, uh, talk about that with me, um, how has your thoughts on how you use your body changed from, let's say when you were doing a lot of, a lot more training in the gym? Well, when I was training in the gym, I would go really hard, right? But it would be an hour at a time, maybe two hours. Um, you'd walk in, you'd warm up. Uh, it doesn't matter what you did during the day, your thought process is going hard at the gym, right? So yeah, yeah walk in, warm up, uh, do a heavy lifting session. Maybe if when I was doing CrossFit, some cardio and, and, uh, skills work and then cool down, stretch, roll, uh, do whatever recovery you need. And then you go home and maybe recover some more. Right. So that is definitely kind of on the higher end of what most people would do. Right. Um, CrossFit athletes, serious bodybuilders, power lifters, uh, they all put a lot of time into their routines two, three hours a day, I would say with everything, most, okay. The regular person I would say does, you know, 20 minutes to an hour a day of hard exercise and it's the same thing. Go to the gym, that is your exercise and then you go home. But now it's completely different. One, I don't go to the gym at all. I'm on the, you know, an outlier with that, but I integrate movement throughout my day. 
and I really go by feel. Okay, so um, no matter what, I'm integrating motion throughout my day. So uh, when I'm resting, I'm always in really good posture, basically size of position or kneeling, and, and I'm not sitting for long periods, although I'll do it for short periods. Um, when I go to walk my dogs, I'll do roping. I'll bring a mm. uh, rope with me. I'll do some roping. I'll do some sprints. Uh, I'm always throughout the day sprinkling in five minutes here, five minutes there of um, something like the bow, right? So I'll get in a bow and I'll just hold that position and really feel it out. Or I'll stretch into a side bend, kind of like a WEC method maneuver. Um, we can go a little far with that or farther with that, but did you have any questions? Well, no, it's, you know, it. so this is familiar to me even when I was strength training because I kind of came from uh, a strength first Pavel Salsalin influenced, you know, the Russian strength coach uh, where strength was looked at as a practice, right? There was, strength was looked at as a skill that you practice. It was the skill of generating tension to produce force, right? And uh, in Pavel Salsalin and a lot of his like body weight, like he has this really great book called The Naked Warrior, which basically just focuses on two movements, the pistol squat and the one arm push up for you know, full, full body strength. And the whole point of that was like, you're not, you're going to shift away from doing just a session where you're doing reps for an hour and then you don't do anything, but you're going to grease the groove. So you're going to, on, on a regular basis, you're going to throw in reps, sub max sets, but like max quality, you're going to produce as much tension as you can get, get as many quality reps throughout the day without accumulating too much fatigue. And it's going to be a practice. So you're going to practice generating this. This uh, and and so I had that mentality about strength even when I was in the gym, uh, where it was kind of peppering in. Like when I was focusing on powerlifting, I would practice my hinge and I would generate a ton of tension through my hips. And I would, you know, I would brace my core and and do that hip hinge pattern. So it was, you know, grooving into my nervous system over and over and over again. In that shift from just like just training to thinking in terms of like I'm practicing a skill, like I want to get stronger, so I'm practicing the skill of strength. That was that was something that I adopted like I don't know in the second year of of my like real seriousness about lifting and and strength training in general. But um, yeah, when you're now, do you, do you find that you? need any acute stressors or do you have moments in your day that are more poignant or are more acute or more focused? Do you have some sort of uh, even progressive overload in terms of your, your movement practice? It, and and that, that progressive overload isn't necessarily in terms of just like, you know, resistance. It could be complexity of movement. Are you like gradually progressing the complexity of movements that you're practicing? Like how do you, how do you, do you have a structure basically to your movement practice or is it just you throw things in here and there yeah so what you said there and the concept of tension and the complexity of motions is really uh where i have my one rep maxes okay so um what i can do at the end of the day is usually more than i can do at the start of the day so at the start of the day i'm doing easier motions um with less complexity so like you mentioned strength with Pavel, where you're looking at more like a skill, I do the exact same thing. And I apply strength, like, you know, classic strength and tension in there, but my complexity 
instead of strength is movement, is the complexity of the movement. Okay, so at the end of the day, sometimes I'll try a harder maneuver, you know, a more complex martial arts movement, uh, a faster run, uh, a more complex way to, let's say I'm running, I'll cut a different way and spin, I'll do different things like that that are more complex at the end of the day because I've greased the groove of the pattern of that motion. Mm. So will you stick for on like a, like say you, you choose like a complex martial arts movement and that's kind of represents your one rep max for a little while because it's really complex. Do you stick yeah. with that movement until you feel you have some degree of mastery over it before you move on to another thing? Or do you kind of focus, do you, do you kind of swap them around? Do you kind of like, you know, instead of like a chest day and like a, a back and biceps day and a leg day, maybe you have like a martial arts day and you have a, a sprinting day and you have like a dance day. Like, do you kind of, do you, do you have, yeah, so a, I, have like a... I, I see what you're saying here. And I want to, like, if I want to get faster at sprinting, I'm going to have to overload that motion. I'm going to have to, have a program where I gradually increase the complexity of my running within how I structure the actual periodization, okay? But um, what I do is more general. Like, I don't care to be the best martial artist in the world, you know? I want to be really, really good, but I also want to be able to run fast. I want to be able to mountain bike. I want to be able to do almost everything. So you have to sacrifice going deep into a single motion if you want complexity, right? Or a single uh, a sport, okay? So I would periodize if I was trying to get faster. I may do that uh, at the start of the spring or something like that for, let's say, sprinting. But I don't do it all year and I don't do it regularly. Now, again, the motions that I do, and let's take bow stopping, for instance, I'm going to do a very complex motion and that will be getting to the next level of the complexity is going to be very neurologically demanding. So I may just stop right there, depending on how tired I am, because I don't want to accumulate bad reps. Or I might just throw in, at, once I get the pattern, I'll throw it into a freestyle and try to do it a few times in a freestyle. Okay, so um, it's really a harder question to ask because I'm at a higher level in terms of movement complexity that than almost anybody who would be starting out. When yep. you're starting out, you may need to structure it differently, where you actually have you know sets and reps and do it more like that when you're just learning the basic motions and then you can start freestyling and then you go by feel. Eventually you wanna go by feel. That'll be where when you're um, at an advanced level. And that's, uh, that's really reminiscent of kind of the Ido Portal, like his early methods of isolate, integrate, and improvise, where you kind of start out, you're, you're isolating these particular components of the movement, then you integrate them into more fluid movements. And then once you learn to link those together, then you can kind of get into this flow and you can improvise with all of them. It, it, movement generalism is an interesting concept to me because uh, even within, like within the Ido Portal, method there is still sort of this applied thing like if you want to have something that's really complex and really demanding on your body you would periodize that in while still maintaining a certain level of uh, like movement generalism like you'd still include all your locomotive e exercises and still you know dance and do whatever you'd still you're still just moving 
But in order to acquire certain skills, you would need to almost periodize it and program it in and have those acute stressors. At the same time, movement generalism is training, uh, I think, a different skill altogether, which is like the neurological capacity to grasp new movements. So you're, you're developing a kinesthetic awareness and a kinesthetic intelligence that you wouldn't grasp if you were just doing the same you know, eight patterns in the sagittal and frontal plane that you typically find yourself in, in, in a, you know, traditional weight training or lifting capacity, you're actually developing, you're, you're, you know, you're developing new neural connections, you're developing this kinesthetic intelligence. I think that's a really, you know, when, when people are like, well, how, how, how do you measure your progress with this? If I'm doing movement generalism, I'm doing this practice, I'm doing it all day. How do I measure progress? And that's, you know, for me coming from Programming, like I could program every weight and every rep and every set that I was going to do for like a year in advance with predictable results and it was easily quantifiable, right? When, when I was programming for powerlifting, because it's numbers, you know, it's literally numbers. You're just doing math. So mm -hmm. it's quantifiable. It's very easily quantifiable progress. Now, when you're talking about movement generalism, it can be a harder thing to quantify if you're obsessed with the idea of progress, right? And if and a lot of people uh, psychologically benefit from training or having like a physical practice in their life because of the psychological benefit of feeling like they're making progress in some direction, even mm -hmm. if the progress is arbitrary, that's still one of the main psychological benefits of training. I think that's, it has been for me in a, in a lot yeah. of cases. So in terms of, if you're thinking in terms of movement generalism, how could someone approach tracking progress with that type of a practice? Hmm, that's a very interesting question because uh, I don't have the answer to that yet, right? Because I don't think this type of, uh, you know, fitness practice, or I guess I should say lifestyle is for everybody. You're not going to get here yet. You know what I mean? Like if you're really into the bodybuilding sets and rep schemes, you're probably not going to go more into a feeling-based practice. However, um, there is a lot of people who are interested in this type of thing at this moment, right? I do think eventually you have to let go of the sets and reps. Like that will be a reality if you're getting into movement. Um, an easy way to, to start off would be to categorize what type of motion you're doing. So let's say groundwork. How long am I doing groundwork per day, right? How long did I get into Siza? How long did I um, rope flow today? How long did I accumulate getting into the figure eight pattern? Um, how many minutes did I do a bow? And, and again, I don't like doing it that way, so I would never actually do it like this. But at the start, you know, accumulate five minutes into a bow and try to make it as best quality as you can. Figure eights with the rope for five, 10 minutes and make sure you're in ground positions for one hour. I would say that is a great three easy things to start off. And you'll get a lot of, uh, you'll get a lot of fruit with the movement and it'll be rehabilitative at, at the same time. Cause even again, we're talking movement generalism. It can be hard to uh, think of where to start. And, you know, I, I remember being so involved in Edo Portal's methodology and I was like, okay, cool. Where do I start? And the, the advice was within that culture is just move. And it's like, 
okay, well, that doesn't really help. It's like, well, go do gymnastics or dance or, you know, capoeira or do, do something. Just, just move your body. It doesn't matter what it is. You just got to move. Move as much as you can. Go rock climbing. Do martial arts. Go explain. Like, on one hand, that is cool advice because it takes the pressure off. On the other hand, for someone who has the psychology of, of like you said, where you, you, you mentally or psychologically are still looking for that sense of progression, it's going to be hard to make that mental jump, you know? So uh, I think there are different ways that you can approach paradigms of a movement practice. One that comes to mind, I consider Goda, which we've talked about a lot in previous episodes when we've interviewed the, you know, the GLS performance team, the, the go to locomotive systems performance performance team. Uh, I think they're a principles based movement practice, which is to say yeah. you, you define principles and then you try to adjust your whole lifestyle and your training and your movement practice around those principles. And then it doesn't matter what goal you create from within them. Like you can, you can set, hypertrophy goals or weight pushing goals or, or whatever goals, whatever performance-based goals, but you set them from within those principles. And your first goal is to basically embody those principles as much as you can. Then there's more of a movement pattern approach, which if you're talking about like movement generalism, like I think, I think Edo Portal and dance uh, these, these are, these are kind of pattern based movement practices where you're looking at cultivating certain patterns. Um, you know, it's like yeah. that, that was like, you know, I think Edel Portal has even been like, it's, it's not how much you bench. It's what patterns do you have, bro? It's like, forget, forget yeah. the numbers on the bar. It's, it's the number of patterns that you can do. So there's, it's, it's either like in my mind, when I think of like structuring a movement practice, it's like, am I structuring it based on principles, patterns, or both? Um, I would say that both you and I kind of come from a, a, a principles first approach so that when you are training patterns, you're training them from within safe principles that respect human biology and, and, and the, the movements that are meant to be embodied in human biology. Because you can do a gazillion interesting patterns within you know what goto would call within the math but that's that's you know do you have anything to add to that am i missing uh you know sort of yeah. an approach for movement practices no that's that's a very good way to put it um i now that you put it that way that reminds me i do work within the goto principles whenever i'm running whenever i'm doing movement um and let's go over those principles again this is going to get annoying because i do this all the time right inside ankle bone high Work off the fourth and fifth metatarsal. That's your go-to area to push pressure off on your foot. The outside of the foot is long and strong. The inside of the foot, or sorry, the inside of the foot's long, outside strong, okay? The, the um, first metatarsal, the big toe, that is for balance. It can be used in dance. I was just dancing before and you do dump under the big toe for balance, okay? So again, inside ankle bone high, outside of your foot, back chain so make sure that your hips are behind your rib cage we have getting into the bow the bow position okay you can look at all this um you know on on go to site but basically i dance in that position now i want to be in those positions 90 percent of the time and dance may be a bad example because you do kind of 
go off balance on purpose. So I do dump in a little bit and I do go outside the principles, but for the most part, I'm uh, doing the go to principles within dance. When I'm doing martial arts, I'm doing the same thing. I'm keeping the go to principles intact. When I'm, when I'm pivoting and boxing, my inside ankle bones high. When I'm throwing my right hand, I'm pivoting off that fourth and fifth in the back now instead of dumping in on the big toe. I'm just keeping the principles with whatever I do. So that is the basis of what I do. That is, I don't know if you can mathematically, uh, you know, quantify that. Maybe you could if you followed me around and just videotaped me all day. But in my own mind, I'm not interested. I've, I need to be thinking about staying in the principles as I do my more complex motions. And uh, the fruits of the movement come from that, right? So uh, during the day, I'll, I'll let you know what I did today, okay? I got up, I did about five minutes of roping, just super, super light in the living room, just to wake up, feel out my spinal engine, get my spine moving from side to side and get a general you know, blood flow type of thing. Went to work, didn't do that much, but basically I was in uh, bow and corner position the whole time. Um, instead of sitting in the chair, I would be in size of position working, okay? So there I accumulated some rest and recovery type emotions for my body. Came home, had uh, half an hour before this podcast, so I grabbed my nunchuck rope things, and I did a little bit of uh, figure eights with the nunchucks, right? And then from there, what did I do? Um, I did a little bit of headband I, uh, boxing, so I have a headband, a ball at the end of it, and I punch it, okay? And that, I did about five minutes of that just to get my eyes going. Then now I'm on this podcast. Um, my foot is now on a hot rock that I put in the oven so that, um, you know, my foot will be more pliable after when I go for my run. Things like that, easy, easy motions that I can put in during the day is now my workout, okay? But it is the lifestyle, as I just described. I'm doing five minutes here, five minutes there, making a right decision in the moment instead of sitting, size of position. It goes more like that. And to anyone who's listening right now and thinking, no, I can't, I can't just throw that in there. Like, it's like, look, dude, you would probably take 10 minutes several times throughout your day just to fuck around on your phone. So shut the fuck up about not being able to just move yeah. for five, five or 10 minutes, like throughout your day. Like you definitely just waste a bunch of time looking at your goddamn phone throughout the day anyway. So just, you know, th there's, there's no excuse not to do this. It's as simple as like, I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll kind of like shuffle that corner. I'll do some boat standing bows and corners as I'm like, if I'm waiting in line at the grocery store, I was just at the grocery store and I was thinking about my steps and I was doing like almost like an exaggerated swag walk to practice that, like that bow and corner walk while I was walking up and down the grocery store aisles. Yeah, you kind of got to cultivate the ability to not give a shit about what people think because you are going to be like exaggerating your movements a little bit, but um, which also drives my partner nuts, by the way. <laughs> she always sees me like noodling. She's like, babe, this is just walk like a normal person. I'm like, I am walking like a normal person. This is a bone <laughs> yeah. corner. This is biologically consistent, baby. But even, you know, recording this podcast, I'm standing on slant boards, training that inside ankle bone high. I'm doing a little bit of side bending when I listen to you talk. I'm uh, I'm feeling out my spine too. I kind of I hurt my back a little bit training and experimenting in a, a way that I was maybe a little over ambitious about. So I've been you know just getting that blood flow back into that part of my back that sort of got injured the other day. And yeah. it's just it's thinking about 
what are the things that you do throughout your day anyway? And how can you add components to them? We, I, the reason I like GoTo too is because with those principles, you can look at every activity that you do throughout your day through that through the lens of those principles, right? And that's that's an easy way to structure a movement practice is to think you have this lens, you're looking at your life and the activities that you're doing anyway. How can you, you know, in, in GoTo, how like if you're if you're a GoTo practitioner, how can you GoToify your day to day? How can you train your inside ankle bone high as you're working? How can you practice your bows in your corners when you're going to take your garbage out? How can you stay back chain dominant when you're standing in line at the grocery store? You know, just basic, basic stuff where if you have principles that you're trying to embody, you can start looking at your life through that lens, right? And that's that's easier than pattern-based training because sometimes pattern-based training or a pattern-based practice, you know, you can't <laughs> you can't like pop and lock when you're like standing at the grocery store, standing in line at the grocery store. Or if you're working or if you're sitting or you're, you're working at your computer, like it's easy from a go-to perspective because you can sit in the Seiza position or you can stand on slant boards at a standing desk, but you're not gonna like break dance while you're working on your computer, right? So the patterns-based training is harder to integrate into your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And that's not to say that you can't like take five, 10 minute breaks and practice the patterns. Cause I think for, like for me, and this is just my own experience from learning guitar, from learning that, you know, practicing the skill of strength, anything that required my body's involvement uh, in, in learning a physical skill I think most skills are physical, you know, other than maybe mathematics, you know, like practicing math, most skills that you do have a physical component in it. Um, my, my best progression or towards mastery of any physical based embodied skill has been more when I do frequent sessions shorter throughout the day and not, you know, acute stress on my nervous system, you know, not, not like, burning myself out with an hour and then taking as much time as I can to recover. And that does, that does work to a degree, but the amount of resources you need to, there's a few issues with it, right? The one, one is that you, you allocate so many resources to, towards just recovery and it's hard to be consistent with that. You hard to, hard to know how, like, am I adequately recovered to just trash myself again? The other thing is you're going from trashing yourself to trashing yourself, to trashing yourself. And on all you're doing is just trying to recover from how hard you're being trashed all the time. Um, yeah. you know, even, even when I was strength training, my philosophy was like, okay, what's, what's like, how can I practice, but keep myself fresh? How can I have quality practice every time? Cause there's a saying like, you know, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Right. So this idea of like training to failure, just totally wrecking my body, you're trashing my body, even when I was doing strength training, that never made sense to me because then I'm practicing shitty movement. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, go ahead. One of, one of the things when you're, you know, powerlifting or bodybuilding, um, it, there's always the question of, am I prepared to do the next hard workout? Like how much yeah. nervous system do I have for this hard lift? Right. And you know, if you're feeling really good, you want to go lift even heavier. Right. So it never kind of ends there. You're always in a, a slope of, um, going heavier and harder. 
and uh, recovering nervous system wise. And that takes a lot of resources and a lot of time. Okay. And that energy can be put into a movement practice. And that's basically all I've done. I've taken the energy I've put into that, put it into a movement practice. The great part about that is it's a, a little bit or a lot easier on your body. Okay. Like you don't have to be recovering all the time. The complexity that you get from the motions is your one rep max. Okay. And it's not like I don't do one rep maxes. I think Naudi uh, Aguilar says this where um, if you don't think I'm doing one rep maxes, you're out of your mind. It's just, I'm doing them differently. Okay. Like my one rep max is a complex motion or um, holding a singular position in an isometric fashion. Right. So um, yeah, there's, there is one rep maxes and there's complexity, but I don't get as tired and I don't have to recover as much. Yeah. Okay. So it's more about staying out of inflammation and feeling good and ready to have more complex patterns in my next day. And I'd like to, uh, for people who are listening and might be having a hard time wrapping their heads around, okay, well, if you're not lifting weights, how are you hitting a one rep max? I don't understand. Let's say you're doing a one rep max squat and you have, you know, maybe, maybe your max is 405 pounds, right? Do you put this bar on your back and you tense up and you're like, your face is turning beet red at that moment, your nervous system is trying to innervate as many motor units as possible in your body to fire, to produce the tension, the force to not only stabilize and hold that weight, then also to lift it, right? So your nervous system is doing a lot of work and your motor units are doing a lot of work and it's, it's, it's your body is trying to coordinate itself to withstand this load. Right. So, so it's, it's a nervous system involvement thing. Your one rep max is really determinate, not just on your muscles, right? Like just the, the size of the muscle, but the capacity for your nervous system to recruit motor units. Now, when you're doing complex movement patterns, your nervous system is firing off as well, but it's firing off in a way that is trying to coordinate your body for this movement. So when you're doing really complex movements that require high degrees of coordination, rather than trying to recruit you know, motor units to produce tension and force, you're trying to coordinate a sequencing of the firing of these motor units to work synergistically. And if you don't know how to do that, if your body is not accustomed or trained to do that, the focus on the complexity of the movement is extremely neurologically demanding until you learn how to do it, until you make that pattern more neurologically efficient. So when we're saying it's, you know, a movement can be a one rep max in terms of complexity, it means the neurological demand on trying to coordinate that movement within yourself is representative of a one rep max. You might not be producing as much tension, you might not be like sweating or grinding out a rep, but your nervous system, your brain is firing on all fucking cylinders trying to understand the complexity of this movement. And that's what we mean when we say like a one rep max in a movement practice. I couldn't have summed it up better myself there. It's really um, when you're coming from the lifting background, uh, CrossFit, powerlifting, bodybuilding, um, it's really about firing as many and as hard as you can, as many motor units and get your central nervous system as high as you can and hopefully everything fires at once and, and you can do your lift, right? Where it's more like training a symphony or an orchestra when you're doing complex motions. You're still firing 
but it has to fire at the right time. It has to sing well together and uh, it has to coordinate. Otherwise, it's not a good rep, right? So you keep doing and trying to fire more and more complex motions. And if you get one and it really hits, then you can hit that note again, right? So it's more like that versus just firing all your nervous system at once. You do get tired from it, but it's more like a brain fatigue and a central nervous system fatigue from coordination versus just an all out effort. Yeah, and, and so, so like when you're tired at the end of these movement sessions, you're not gonna have that same, like I remember feeling like someone shot me after doing like a, a hard squat session when I'm working at like 85 to 95% of my one rep max for reps, right? Like I would, I would come out of that feeling not just physically exhausted, but like I could barely string a sentence together because I, I, the neurological demand of that was so immense. Like I almost needed to take a nap just to recover just so that I could like speak straight. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that's like, you can, you can also like, if you sit down and do a math problem, like a really complex math problem, there's a neurological demand for that. So it's very interesting because the body and the brain are not separate entities, right? Like your people think of like a separation of, of body and mind, but they're, they're the same thing, right? Like your nervous system is, is your brain is your body. And we, when you start thinking in this, like this unified sense, it kind of makes more, it kind of makes more sense to, to think about your movement practice as like, not just this isolated, I get, you know, like, I think the difference between a training mindset or like a programming mindset and a movement practice mindset is more of like a training mentality is, is you're, you're thinking of applying as much acute stress for a minimal amount of time and you don't mind not embodying that sort of practice the rest of your day versus a movement practice mindset is that like you, your movement, your training is just who you are and what you do. It's, it is your lifestyle. Like your lifestyle ultimately reflects your body. And I think it's, it's cooler because movement practice versus a training, like here, here's the thing. Like, I think, I think CrossFitters are, are cool examples, like hardcore CrossFitters. Uh, they have movement practices because when they're not doing their acute stress, they're usually doing some sort of mobility training. They're getting themselves into positions and resting so that their mobility can be better. Uh, it's just very applied to their sport. Uh, they have to do like a gazillion different things. They have to know how to swim. They have to know how to walk on their hands. They have to know how to Olympic lift. They have to know how to do a bunch of gymnastic skills. They have to have great mobility. They need to recover. So their whole, like, especially the pros, their whole lives are embodied to produce this certain result for their body to do a certain way and who they are in a CrossFit athlete, right? But a person who is just going to like an hour CrossFit class four or five times a week, you know, they might be sitting in a chair for eight hours of the day otherwise, and then laying on their backs on their couch, watching Netflix, you know, for a couple hours at night. And like, other than the hour that they're spending, you know, doing maybe even poor patterns in, in a CrossFit gym, the rest of their day, you know, they, they might not, you know, they might not go on mobilitywad.com and, and go look at their, their mobility stuff when they're, when they're watching TV and stuff. It's just this acute thing. But then the rest of the, the day, your body's still being programmed. Your body is still learning. Like it might not make sense to you that 
sitting in your chair at the office is affecting how you squat, but it is, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it really comes down to, in the movement practice, the way I do it, I, again, use the go-to principles as like a basis for the patterning, right? And uh, if I want to bring like a functional range conditioning type of mindset to this, then I would say that if my, uh, let's say my shoulder doesn't have range of motion to go back, then I can't do that movement in a complex way with speed, right? I'm going to have to compensate somewhere. So uh, I'm going to have to isolate that joint, get it in motion, and then be able to do the movement afterwards in a much more efficient manner. And efficiency is my goal, so that's how I would do it. Crossfitters um, and the good ones, that's more like a sport, right? They're more uh, doing professional sports, I would say. And they do have a variety of movements, but I wouldn't call it a movement practice. I would call it more of a sport because they're competing on, they're just competing at it, right? So it is more of a sport than an actual movement practice. But there is complex motions in there. I'm not denying that. I think, well, and this is this is kind of where we kind of blend the philosophy a little bit because sports are a series of, of movements typically. I mean, you have to be good at the movement patterns of kicking and controlling a ball if you want to be a good soccer player. And you need to have good patterns of cutting and running if you want to be a good soccer player, typically. So there are there are still, you know, it's funny because sports themselves are unique and maybe specialized movement practices, but you could still almost call them movement practices. Because um, because when you when you go to you know when you're when you're training for a sport, you usually do strength training and practice, right? You go to yeah. you go to you go to the team practice. I don't really hear, other than for specific events in CrossFit. I guess you don't hear I'm going to CrossFit practice today. <laughs> you know, you might be like, oh, I'm going to go do swimming practice today, or I'm gonna I'm gonna practice this event that I know is coming up at the at the competition, right? Like you might have a set workout that you go do a test run of, and they say oh, I'm practicing this event, right? So, so there are practice elements to it. But what do you think the difference is between a movement practice and a sport? Um, well, let's go back because the thought process right now amongst the strength community and how to uh, train athletes is to have them in the gym, get stronger, quote unquote, and then go to their sport. And that is their movement practice, right? So um, in general, they're getting their movement from their sport and their strength from the gym. However, uh, you can take the components of the actual movement. So let's say whatever, running or swim, let's take running, okay? Running in, in soccer. And we can break that down into fractals. And those fractals end up being the go-to patterns anyway, go-to principles, right? So basically, you're training the fractals, the small portions of a run, when you're doing the go-to principles in the first place. So not only are you doing the principles you're training for almost any sport there is right so you're getting all that complexity where again the classical way to look at it is strength in the gym movement in the field and they'll all blend together you'll be super strong and good at your sport but i just think there's a better way to do it now and that's to break down the fractions of the movement and train those as your strength 
one rep maxes is now the complexity of the motion. And then that's how you actually get better at your sport. Or in my case, I just generalize it. Because when it comes down to it, every human's the same. I think Goda has really distilled the breast principles within the body to train any sport. Mm. And, and the reason for that is because they're universal principles, right? If you say that you could consider them patterns of security, um, they're patterns where your connect, connective tissues aren't going to degenerate if you practice them. If you get good at these principles, you'll be able to withstand a lot of force. You'll be in these safe positions where your body's not going to start breaking down and you're, you're good to go, right? It doesn't matter if you're running or cutting or jumping or, or you know, it, it it understands or respects the way the body is meant to move, right? And we like every other episode that we have basically kind of talks about the why behind that. So go back and listen to the old episodes if you're listening to this. Um, I think that's really interesting. The thing is, once you have these principles too, for people who are like, well, you need strength. It's like, yeah, you do kind of need strength. And strength. What is strength? Well, and, and this is the question, right? Is is strength, Is are you just defining strength as your nervous system's ability to recruit motor units and produce force? I think or that, that is, is. That's that's the, that's the, you know, the classical definition of strength in strength and conditioning circles. If you're thinking about training an athlete, um, other people are starting to have better or, or more nuanced definitions where some people are saying, well, it's tissue resiliency. It's like how much force can your can you not only produce, but also withstand within your tissues? You know, it's not just the muscular force, but it's also the tendinal resiliency and the ligament resiliency. Um, but ultimately it's like, well, how, like maybe, maybe strength is only relevant if you're in secure patterning, you know, if you have good tendinal conditioning, if you have good force output, does any of that matter if you're in the wrong positions? And I think the you know that's why Goda is making so many waves because they're basically saying no, <laughs> you know. And I I, I would w wager that your position on that is also no, right? Here's the thing: yeah. you can say you need more strength, right? Because you, you'll still have like a like a like an NFL lineman still needs to push forward when they're going up against a 300 350 pound dude. You still need to push forward. Now here's the thing: train pushing forward within the within the math of these principles right you can still load up a sled with 400 pounds and start pushing that within that bow corner inside ankle bone high fourth and fifth metatarsal pivot point and you're solid you're rock solid and you're developing the strength and you're developing the the, the pattern specific to your sport and you're also not putting you know 400 pounds of axial load on your spine which is going to degenerate you over time and make you more injury prone anyway, right? And we talked about also the neurological detriments to uh, lifting. We have a whole uh, we have a whole episode. I think it's called which one is it? We have should you not brace your core? What's wrong with lift, lift, lifting and stretching? Episode six, where we talk about uh, how weightlifting patterns in insecure patterns for forward locomotion. It's a very, you know, it's a, it's a go to principle. But. Yeah. Let's go over that again, because the definition of strength is really key here. Um, again, the classical definition is usually how much can you bench press? How much can you deadlift? How much can you squat? And that shows you the basic strength of somebody. Again, if you can bench press 500 pounds, you can probably, you know, push really hard or punch really hard which is probably true, right? But how much of that 
applicability applies one within the movements that you need and two does that carry over to complex motions can you harness the power that you have and not hurt yourself so that's the actual issue in in my mind right and uh so i don't think strength should be really measured with linear motions okay i'm not saying i know how to completely measure it at this point um the way that you can simply with a squat deadlift or bench press but i'm saying the applicability of having the highest amount of of those uh doesn't work so out so well in sport or in real life motion when i was able to lift my most i was definitely not my most athletic i can tell you that much i was uh basically just practicing to do that mm. it's it's funny cuz now you have more lifting subcultures kind of countering that idea where it's like you know you might be able to deadlift 500 pounds, but if you move out of that groove of the movement, you bust your spine up, right? And it's like, you got to keep that firm spine the whole time, like neutral spine, neutral spine, uh, no knees over toes, right? It's like, you got to, you got to keep these patterns within the pat, like the, like it, it's like the Joel Seedman only stay within 90 degrees. It's the minimal injury risk, right? And now you have different subcultures of lifting who want to start training athletes in other positions you want to do j curls so you get flexion and extension of the spine so that you're secure in positions outside of this like neutral spine position or knees over toes guy where it's like okay you're going to do extreme knee flexion so that your tendons can withstand these positions they're all kind of missing the point that there are fundamental patterns that you want to take care of first that you want to get into first that you want to program that you want your nervous system to be familiar with that you want to prioritize and these principles, if they're addressed and you build strength within those and you, your nervous system is familiar with them and they go to those positions when they're under duress or in an emergency situation, yeah, that's how you create the most security, generally speaking. It's still good to do tissue conditioning work. It's still good to do uh, strength work, but you do it within the math. You do it within the, the principles of human movement first and foremost. And that's where a principle approached movement practice kind of comes in it's very easy to think about inside ankle bone high all throughout your day just look at how you're standing are you, is the, are, the, are your arches collapsing and is the ankle on the inside of your foot starting to drop towards, towards the ground if it is get it up <laughs> you know like it's, it's very very easy to to do that throughout your day so um, i think it's it's interesting because because lifters people who love weightlifting and people who who have strength trained their whole life and who, who you know who come from you know, the Poliquins and, and the, the sort of the weightlifting background, myself included, they try to come up with novel ways to lift to address the issues that lifting creates. And you can only marginally do that, I think. Yeah, it's everything through the lifting lens. Like all the, all the problems of movement have to be solved through lifting. That's the way we looked at it now because everything's, everybody comes from the lifting culture. Um, I would say the first time I was brought away from this was through functional patterns and uh, later WEC method, functional range conditioning, and then uh, lastly, uh, GOTA, right? So it's interesting because most, most of the strength and conditioning coaches out there are still coming from a lifting lens. So the vast majority of what you see, every problem is going to be solved with a barbell or dumbbells. Okay. And to me, that's just not the case anymore. It's again, it's a, you can use those 
tools as implements to help you to control your own body. But eventually you have to input a synchronicity of orchestra of movement one after the other. And that can only be done through repetitions of, um, you know, meaningful repetitions within the math, within the principles that we describe so many times, right? So I think there's just way too much of an overemphasis on using barbells and uh, less so dumbbells to achieve a means to an end, to, to achieve that, uh, you know, being able to move correctly or being able to move well on the field or in life when the barbell is just one tool to be used. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you have a lot of movement cultures like dancers and martial artists. And, uh, you know, there's like a tricking subculture. If you've ever heard of tricking as a movement practice, like, uh, do you know, do you know who I mean when I say Jujimufu? I do. Yeah. Huge, huge bodybuilding powerlifter dude who does these crazy things. He'll do a big, like 500 pound deadlift in roller skates and then do a backflip in roller skates. He came from a tricking background and then he, you know, pumped himself full of steroids and started lifting and then it was like he was a tricking bodybuilder who could do the splits and now you know no, you don't see a lot of his videos doing tricking anymore because he's so huge and he's probably patterned the lifting engine into his nervous system and he can't trick as much anymore because he locked himself into that sagittal and frontal plane right but there there are movement cultures that focus on dynamic coordinated movement that still offer a tremendous amount of athletic benefit, hypertrophy benefit. Um, you know, the, one of the reasons that I was attracted to gymnastics for a long time was because, again, it was more coordinated movement as opposed to just, uh, you know, lifting, <laughs> as opposed to just yeah. like up, down, forward, back. There's, there's like a whole dynamism to, to some of these movement practices, and they don't think about weight. Like, you're not going to see a ballerina go lifting weights, right? You're not going to see... Uh, maybe you'll see a martial artist lifting weights, but it's not going to be the same way that you and I would lift weights. Maybe they're, maybe they're, you know, a wrestler is using a big sandbag and they're flipping the sandbag over their back. So they're kind of coming down and they're flexing their spine and they're doing this dynamic movement that's working in diagonal lines, lines of tension as well. And basically you, I think the big benefit of abandoning weightlifting for a little while and I've taken breaks from it, you know, like I've, I've taken, even when I was still very inoculated in the, the CrossFit weightlifting, powerlifting frame, I would still take months off where I would go do yoga or I would go do just Edo Portel method, or I would just move, I would dance, I would do whatever. I would just flow for months at a time because my because I just felt like my body needed it. And then when my body felt good, I was like, cool, I got this mobility, I'd go lift again, I'd wreck my body again. <laughs> So now, now I'm just at a point where I'm not wrecking my body anymore. You know, I'm not, I'm not going back to the, the sagittal frontal plane lifting box as much anymore. No, as much meaning like at all. I am just not like, I don't think I'll ever do a back squat with a barbell again in my life, realistically. Um, but I'll still resistance train. Just the resistance that I'll be adding will be within the, the framework of these principles of natural human movement. Yeah, it's interesting what you said earlier about, uh, what's his name again, Juji Muju? Yeah, yeah, Juji Mufu. Okay, so um, 
It's interesting because I would predict, and I think you said that he comes from a you know gymnastics background before he was a bodybuilder, right? Or tricking? Yeah. Right. So um, I think a lot of gymnasts and a lot of people who could previously move could go into bodybuilding and still do the tricking and still look like they um, can do it all, right? But I don't think that that's the case. I think they'd injure themselves pretty fast, and I think it would be short-lived, right? I don't think you'd ever see the opposite. A bodybuilder going into gymnastics and looking successful there. Maybe I'm wrong. Can you think of a, a case? There, I don't know of any case off the top of my head, right? Like, like there's there are plenty of videos actually of you know bodybuilder tries gymnastics for the first time and they just wreck themselves, right? Like, unless you're using gymnastics rings as an implement as your bodybuilding tool, like. The guy who, uh, what's, do you know the, the gymnastics bodies guy? His name's, it's a, it's Ryan a Hurt. Right? no, no, no. Uh, the, the guy who, who, who programs for it. It's, uh, he's, um, hmm. it's the, he, he was, a, he was a U.S. Olympic, Olympic weightlifting, uh, U.S. Olympic gymnastics coach, uh, Christopher Somers. There you go. Chris Somers. Um, yeah. he tells, uh, he tells a story about, uh, like a group of bodybuilders coming in for a gymnastics session. And he tells this story about how they failed the warm up, Like they were just doing basic sort of rebounding movements to kind of get the body warmed up, body going, and they couldn't do it. They were so contracted. And, you know, we talked about how like your fascial tissue uh, in our previous episode, we were talking about this bounding and rebounding. Uh, quality of your fascial tissue, how you lose that if you are chronically contracting, your fascia will start behaving in the ways that you train it to behave. Um, these bodybuilders couldn't do basic bounding movements. And a lot of the, you know, the, the suppleness that comes from like the dynamism of gymnastics, like you lose that as a bodybuilder, right? So you get a lot of people who have gymnastics and Olympic lifting backgrounds coming into CrossFit and excelling really well because they have good mobility, they have that athletic background, and then they're just adapting to the other stimulus, right? But they have this background, like especially gymnasts, like you see like a Katherine David's daughter coming from her gymnastics background, being able to like walk on her hands almost as well as she can walk on her feet uh, and excelling extremely well in, in a sport like CrossFit. You wouldn't yeah. be able to take a CrossFit athlete who's, you know, good on all fronts and teach them to be able to do like a bar routine or, or, uh, you know, like any of the complex routines on the gymnastics rings or something. Cause they're too, spe you know, like even, even CrossFit with their constantly varied movement, they're too specialized in a particular way. And it does something to your body that tra I think traps you in the frontal and sagittal plane. Well, they only do frontal and sagittal plane movements. So you would get frontal and sagittal plane strength and motions, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't get transverse plane motion, like twisting and uh, spinning of the hips going along with the rib cage, perfectly coordinated. If you never do it, why would you get it? There's no reason, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, you get better at frontal and sagittal plane motions. You lock yourself up in the transverse plane um, where it's actually the most important, right? So that's the issue there. Now, could they add some in? Probably. And, and they have a lot of opportunities in different exercises. It's a little bit harder to control for in a mass setting when there's 20 people in a class, right? So that would be the problem with that there. Um, 
Now, in terms of uh, the uh, gymnasts going into CrossFit, that is that works out well because gymnasts are really long and strong. It's like a good example. Like a lot of what ATG does reminds me of gymnastics, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's very just like end range gymnastics types training, and you're going to get strong in that end range of motion, and uh, you're going to build resiliency there. And it works out like it's almost like gymnastics without the hard bounding and, you know, flips and, you know, the complexity that makes it injury right. Right. So yeah. I think that APG has it right doing it slow there, but I don't think it applies to as much as you would think. I think it applies to the end range, like the actual tissue strength applies to the end range, but you have to neurologically uh, input into the middle ranges, complex motions. You don't automatically get good biomechanics in multiple planes of motion because you did the end range. Now, again, back to gymnastics. Long and strong is great for uh, CrossFit. You can bring it into powerlifting. You can bring it into bodybuilding. I doubt you can do the opposite. I've never seen a really good powerlifter go into gymnastics and be successful. (laughs) It just wouldn't happen. No. It would. I mean, when I when I power lift, the reason I got out of powerlifting is because I was so bound up. Like I could squat 455 pounds, no problem. Like n- literally no problem. Like it was like an easy one rep max for me. Um, but I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't like bend over to tie my shoes without like my face turning beet red. And I, you know, my mobility was was garbage. I could lift weights and I could jump really high. That's all I could do. And one of, one of the major issues with uh, lifting as like, a, you know, the end goal is that it never ends. If I lift 400 pounds, I want to lift 500 pounds. And that's really the goal. And, and that's what do you do? Lift 400 and then just be like, OK, I'm, I'm good for life. I'm going to go back down to 300. Not a lot of people can do that, especially if they <laughs> feel good. So you basically go until you don't feel good anymore and then you go back down again. And then it's a cycle of trying to get back up to where you were before. And a lot of people enhance themselves and, and do it that way. However, it usually ends and it's not a good goal for longevity, for no, feeling no. good within your body and being capable of using your body in complex motions as you age. It's definitely not good for that. Okay. So um, I think it's a little bit lacking foresight on that, doing it just to do it, just to get stronger and stronger and stronger, that ends at some point. Yeah. I had, I had a really good interview with Ricky Stanzi on, I think it was the Strength Mind podcast. And they kind of were talking about, it's like, do whatever you want to do. Like if you want to Olympic lift, if you want to power lift, you want to compete in these things and you want to do it, do, or you want to bodybuild, do what you want to do, but understand that there is a consequence, right? Like the bell will eventually toll for you you will eventually have to, it will catch up with you. It caught up with me. It, it fucking caught up with Ronnie Coleman. Like you see the documentary of him in a hospital bed and you're not being able to walk because he wrecked his spine doing 800 pound squats. Um, hailed as the best bodybuilder that ever lived, the biggest freakiest bodybuilder that ever lived, but like is now dealing with a wrecked body, right? Like there's always going to be a consequence of what you do, right? So you can, st- the, the other thing is too, you don't have to, give up a bunch of cool goals while having your primary goal be longevity and the the use and function of your body. Like you can still have fat loss goals or hypertrophy goals, even like 
you know, like some mild bodybuilding goals while staying within the principles that will keep your body secure and safe. I yeah. think, you know, like we have, we have to talk more about the actual applications of how you would do that. And I think we can, you know, we could come up with some really cool programs, for example, where, you know, you can, you can train bodybuilding in a way that's consistent with go to principles, <laughs> for example, like it'd be, it'd be tough, but there are ways to do it. And it's not how much time you want to put in too. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, but like the, the fact of the matter is some people are putting in like 12 hours a week in the gym just to look like a bodybuilder or to, you know, and they're hobbyists trying to lift a, a ton of weight. Right. So it's like, but the thing is you can still, you can, you can have a movement practice and you can have a lens to look at things through your life with and still do other movement practices or other training goals keeping your body relatively healthy. And I'm, I'm going to assert, I haven't heard anyone else assert this. I, I feel like it's always black and white in, in this industry, in this space of functional movement where it's like, you got to do functional movement or you're going to wreck your body period. Right. There's, there's consequences to everything that you do naturally, but there are ways to work on goals that people don't consider inherently functional, like strength, like hypertrophy, like bodybuilding, like fat loss that can be done in a way that is consistent with functional and safe, secure movement. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. Um, yeah, I think that I think that you can do you can do it all. It just depends on how much time you want to put in. Okay. Um, in order to maximize movement, I would do mostly that within the principles of Goda, right? But nothing wrong with hypertrophy goals. Nothing wrong with you know strength goals if you want to get stronger and. Uh, squat, you may as well learn how to do it the best you can, right? Like I wouldn't recommend doing that as a goal, but a lot of people want it. So um, follow the people who do it best, okay? And learn it and try to learn it as best you can, okay? But I wouldn't probably do it uh, as a goal to itself. Right. So when you, okay, so if you think about your own goals that you would do in and of itself, what would you say yours are? Uh, for me personally, it's getting better at boxing and martial arts. Okay. And then that's my, like, that's my actual, you know, goal to have a movement that's better than the next day within a martial arts. So I'll pick a, you know, a kick or a certain punch and I'll try to perfect the motions. I'll try to, um, you know, disguise it a little bit better or, um, you know, do a harder motion afterwards. So right now I'm practicing the Superman punch from both hands. Okay. So I can do it with complex footwork. I can do it with either hand, um, trying to disguise it. All that is very complex, right? And that basically you could do that for the rest of your life. If you were actually like sparring and, and applying it into a motion, right? So it gets that complex, but not everyone has to go there. It really is like, what is your end goal? That is the absolute key. The reason it kind of bothers me, the confusion is really there. As a chiropractor, I see patients and they're always saying, I need to get stronger. I need to get stronger. And to them, it means heavy lifting. Okay. Getting a better deadlift. They're told to do deadlifts. They're told to do squats. They're told to do all this. And then I see them and it's just like, okay, I have to convince this person that this is not the way to go within, you know, an hour or whatever. Um, but I don't do that. I'm like, I try to be like, what is your goal and why is it your goal? Okay. Mm. I don't, I'm not there. I don't think everybody should have the same goals. 
I think it's okay to have different goals. I think it's okay to have a goal that I don't have. You know, like that's fine. But whatever you do, try to perfect the motions because you do have to have your body for the rest of your life. And you want to mitigate injuries as much as possible. And oh, people aren't doing this to a wide wide degree, right? So, um, you know, if you're squatting, find the best squatters and learn the best ways to do it and injury-proof yourself. However, again, I wouldn't have that as the goal. If you're bench pressing, same thing. Find the best way to do it within the, you know, uh, within the bodybuilding community or whatever. Okay, don't just go in and hurt yourself. But I would recommend if you want to be a ninja when you're 80, that is not the way to go. Heavy weightlifting is not the way to go. It's pattern training, training your joints to be the priority to make sure you have full range of pain-free motion. Functional range conditioning does this well. But to really stop the bleeding, meaning that stop yourself from going into poor patterns, go to WEC method, functional range conditioning, and listen to us a little bit. You'll, you'll, get, a, you'll get a good look on how to rethink training, because this is really a new paradigm, right? This is really a new way to look at things. It's not just getting aesthetically better. It's not just having bigger muscles, more meat. It's to coordinate it. You have the body for the rest of your life, coordinate it. Make your body into more of an orchestra. Have mastery of the components of your body. That is the bodybuilding. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, that's, that's a hard message for people to wrap their heads around because they're told over and over and over again that you want to, you want you lose muscle as you age. So pack on as much muscle as you can. Um, you know, even Phil Chubb, the guy from The Mindful Mover, like the first interview I ever did on No Filter Network, uh, he, he was like, I think he's five, six or five, seven. And he weighed like 185 pounds at like 8% body fat, 10% body fat. He was huge. And he was talking to me about how he, he was like, in my head, the, like the more muscle I had, the healthier I was. So I'd be eating like 3,500 calories a day, training my ass off. And then I would like, I would work up a sweat just from standing. Like it was, it was cardio for me to exist. Like if I was awake, my heart was pumping. He would sweat all the time. And he was like, I, I had this aha moment where I'm like, this isn't actually healthy. Like <laughs> this is, there's, there's no way that what I'm doing is actually healthy. He, he told me about, about a bunch of studies where, um, a, like more protein sparing diet is actually more conducive to longevity where you're told to eat whack tons of protein so that you have as much muscle on your frame as possible. So we started eating less protein on certain days of the week, especially trains once a week, he dropped down from 185 to 160 or 165, whatever. He dropped 20 pounds basically. And a lot of that was muscle because he just wasn't, he didn't need it anymore. But there's this paradigm shift from, okay, why on earth do you think that imposing as much wear and tear on your joints in your system as possible is going to produce longevity. I'm talking about like spending two or three hours a day in the gym trying to put on muscle. How do you think that's going to translate to you being a functional, healthy 80 year old human being who can move well? I think it's one of, one of the things as we age is we forget that we can do things like run, you know, like who over, I, I was listening to Weck the other day and he's like, who over the age of 25 actually sprints. It's like somebody who loves sprinting or you're running away from something or you just don't do it or you're playing a sport, right? You just don't do it. But now I'm 38 and I, I run everywhere. 
right? Just for fun. And I don't have to warm up. I just go and I run and it feels great, right? So to me, that's more functional. I can actually go and do the specific task that a kid could do, right? So to me, it's more of like a playful mentality. I'm always playing. I'm always doing different things like, like a kid would. And there is a social component that's embarrassing or inappropriate. And, and I get that, right? But at the same time, uh, I like going to events where there's, you know, I'm at a picnic and I'm allowed to move. I'd, I'd rather go to that event than a dinner where I have to sit all day, right? Or, yeah. or something like that. And I actually choose my uh, social events around movement, <laughs> you know, like if I can move or have the opportunity to, I'm more likely to go to that. So it's, I mean, that's again on the outlier on the extreme because I, I put my life, I, I surround my life with it, but basically you could do more of that, okay? And it takes a little bit of, again, a paradigm shift. Um, now, again, when, when you were powerlifting or bodybuilding, was it not that you were saving your energy for that session, for today's session? Like I wouldn't walk up the <laughs> local hill here. Yeah. Tunnel Mountain. If if I if I was leg day because I wouldn't want to wear my legs down for squats, right? So I'm actually taking joy away from my day and just sitting inside, like anxiously waiting for my squats. 25 reps of standing up and and sitting down, and then I can go home and and think about doing it again after I recover, right? Yeah. So it really becomes like when you're deep in the woods, that's what it becomes. Okay, when you're really into lifting, you're like making your life surrounded by lifting. It is much better to be obsessed with movement and surround your life with movement because you get the fruits everywhere. There's this really funny subculture uh, who's into high intensity training, like the Mike Menser style, where it's like you train to absolute failure and you wreck your body. And there's this joke where it's like, if you want to optimize your gains, you have a gym caddy as in someone who carries your bags for you and, and like yeah. pushes you out on a wheelchair so that you don't have to actually walk to your car so you can save your energy for recovery. It's like this whole joke of like, do as little as you can until your workout. So you have this person who's like doing all your shit for you. Um, oh, there, I would do that. Would you not? Would, <laughs> if I was trying to opt, yeah, if I was trying to optimize for listing, I, I actually had this plan once when I was, when I was thinking, you're talking deep in the, I was deep in the woods, man. I had this whole thing where it's like, okay, like I can plan my day. I have this day off. If I plan it right, I can eat, lift, nap, and then I'll get up and I'll eat, lift, nap again. I can get two sessions and get an extra nap. And I was like, I was literally planning my whole day around how I could like work out, bust myself up, recover, work out, bust myself. Like I was literally optimizing for that. And I was, I was like, I'm not seeing any friends. I canceled my social plans. It was fucked up. Like it was like, it like borderline mental illness style, obsessive about trying to optimize for this. One thing that you said that I want to that I want to kind of touch on because because it made me think. You're like, I'll just get up and run. I don't have to warm up, right? No. The movement practice benefit to not acutely wrecking your body every time you train is that your body is just conditioned to do these things on a regular basis. You don't need to warm up to display the skills that you're trying to earn, right? Like with lifting, with CrossFit, fuck man, I would, I would warm up for like half an hour, 45 minutes sometimes if I knew I had like an Olympic lifting heavy thing that required a lot from my shoulders or, I mean, I, and I did that and I still ended up, you know, tearing my shoulder, uh, my rotator cuff 
uh, and needing shoulder surgery in a couple of weeks, right? Like it's, it was still one of these things that like, even though I warmed up like crazy, um, I still wrecked myself, right? Versus when you're doing this sort of less acute, but more frequent practice yeah. where you're putting yourself in these patterns, your body just slowly, naturally, organically adapts to these things. Your tissues will, will form and they're, they're used to it. And you don't have to, like, I remember like even, it's funny because even in powerlifting, my quote warm up, I, I could jump into a 350 pound deadlift without warming up because my body was so conditioned to it and my body was so like pattern perfect with it that, and, and again, deep in the woods, optimized for that pattern, but I didn't need to warm up for a 350 pound deadlift because it was just easy to do for me. Now, there are a lot that said <laughs> I needed to warm up to tie my shoes or I needed to warm up to like, you know, have sex with someone because my hips are so bound up <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's like, it's a real thing. Um, so the, the, the paradigm shift from doing hour long, two hour long sessions, or, or just trying to have this acute stress on your body to moving throughout the day and like embodying the practice, like really being your movement, realizing that your mind, body, movement, lifestyle, these are all unified things. I don't want to get too hippy dippy, even though I am a big hippie about this concept, but like it's a big paradigm shift. And I think more people, even people who still want to train and who still want to have these gym sessions, they can still apply movement practice principles uh, and specifically not pattern-based principles, but like principle-based movement practices to their life. Cause then you can look through all the things that you're doing in your life anyway, and just apply these principles to them. Then your whole life becomes a movement practice. Yeah. Like as a guy, one of the, the things that happened as you go away from lifting is your muscles get smaller. So you literally have to get over that. Um, now it's terrifying to some, like when you're a bigger guy, I used to be a big guy, like a, people would look at me and be like, oh, that, that's a huge guy, right? Um, and then you lose that and people are like, what's happening to you? Like, uh, there's all that, you know, um, and it's like, what do you mean? And it's just like, you've gotten so skinny. It's just like, well, I'm, I'm boxing now and I'm, you know, to me it's not an issue and I don't even notice it, right? But to other people it's like, whoa, what's going on, right? And I think this could bother a lot of people yeah. as, if that's what they were, were to do, go from lifting to movement, right? So I kind of went on the extreme end. I do a lot of boxing and, and it makes you, you know, it makes you thin basically, right? But I'm still strong and so it, all that's there, but my size went away, like my my mass, because I just don't lift anymore. Now you could, I couldn't add in a little bit of lifting and I would be able to hypertrophy pretty quick, but it's just not conducive to my goals. So you could do both. It's possible. If you want to maximize one, you got to do more of one than the other. And to me, I just get more out of movement if I practice more movement. I can do more and more complex motions. Um, and that, to me, is worth the sacrifice of the size of the muscle. However, again, you will lose a little bit of muscle no matter what you do if you move from more of a lifting to more of a movement practice. But you will get better and more agile at, uh, at actual movement. Yeah. I mean, like your quality of life in terms of how comfortable it is to actually live in your body will improve, even if the, you know, the, the visual or aesthetic attention that you get from your body 
that that really is like a psychological neurosis. It's it's the fact that we've you know we put so much value on this, and and gym culture, toxic gym culture, is definitely a thing. Bodybuilding culture is almost like like it's almost made a meme out of itself in terms of how much it values muscularity and aesthetics. It can be psychologically like harrowing to people, and you know that that's why it's like one of the cool movement practices to get into is like some gymnastic strength stuff for your upper body. Cause at least you're putting your shoulders in complex movement styles. At least your spine is moving. Um, you know, if you had some gymnastic strength and some dance and roping and then go to, you're going to look great. You're going to look fucking awesome and you won't atrophy too, too much. Right? Like if you want to like you, like I was thinking, uh, cause I'm a big video game nerd from when I was growing up, I was thinking it's like, you have these different builds, right? You have like this warrior build, this, this big chunky character and he's strong as shit, but he can't move around very fast. Um, and he can take all these hits, but again, it's not super fun to play hit, play that character all the time. Cause he moves so slow and he can't do too much. All he does is like swing this big sword around. It's kind of a unidimensional character. But then you have like this thief character, right? It's like this rogue and it's super light. He can do these backflips and shoot arrows and like throw daggers and, you know, basically dance around or do these dodging rolls. And it's like, it's a way more dynamic, cool, fun character. And I know this is like the most nerdy thing in the world to talk about, but I was, I was literally thinking about this. Oh, like, applicable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, it's applicable, right? I, in yeah. life's a video game anyway. So we are living in a simulation after all, right? But, uh, <laughs> You know, like these characters are so much more fun to play. There's so more more options to play these characters. And that's kind of like when I was thinking about my own, I was like, shit, like I'm that clunky character build right now. Like I, I'm strong and I have these muscles and it's fun, but like all I can do is swing my big sword around and that's, I can't do anything else. I want to have, you know, I went to a wedding recently and, uh, and my partner was kind of like, you kind of dance like a white boy. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, your movements are kind of clunky. And I'm like, like I remember in high school, I was like trying to dance and my friend said, I look like a broken washing machine. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, damn, man, like, I don't, I don't want to dance like a clunky washing machine, white boy. I want to have a little movement in my spine and my hips and stuff. Right. So for me, it's like, there's a, there's a freedom in my body that I want to experience. There's a motion in my spine that I want to have access to. There's, you know, I don't want to live with pain just so that I can, or, or even restriction just so that I can look muscular, you know? And, and for me, that's how I got over the, you know, and it took me a long time to get over the desire to have aesthetic muscles over, you know, even, even over good movement, like a long time. Yeah. Like, uh, the way I look at it now is I'm, I'm starting to see the possibilities of going beyond what I'm seeing, you know, even the best guys do, right? I'm like, oh, I can, I could probably do more than that. When I was lifting, there's no chance, you know, I'm looking at somebody do complex motions or dance. And at that point in my life, I, I would say, there's no way I can even dance like that. Now I'm surpassing that people that I thought were, you know, well beyond what I ever imagined, right? And it's just because I'm doing these principles that I'm able to access these different patterns. Because they all move into a universal pattern, which Gota has, you know, cracked at least a little bit of the code, okay? Probably not all of it, but at least a little bit of it. And I can apply it into every motion. That is amazing and fantastic. You know what I mean? Like, I cannot thank them enough because I was, you know, like, the amount of time I put into movement and thinking about it and all that, I, I know how to vet things when they hit me. 
right? And so I practice it, and if it doesn't work, it's it's tossed. Or I, you know, if I'm not doing it correctly, I try it again and again and again. And it has to bring movement to a better place, or it goes. Okay, so um, just an example when I was, you know, when I was lifting, bench pressing, I can bench press almost 400 pounds at my height. Okay, 350 would be not that hard in most instances. 405 is where I kind of dropped off. I always got there and got injured. Okay. Um, squats around what around 485, um, deadlifts around 500, somewhere around there, right? Um, I couldn't put my hand behind my back. You know what I mean? Like it just wouldn't go back there. And now I'm doing complex motions, passing things, grabbing things. I can catch behind my back now. Yeah. I wouldn't even dream like I, I thought that was over for the rest of my life. I didn't even know that was a thing I could do. And now I'm doing complex patterns with my shoulders behind or sorry, my arms behind my back and have that access like it's the front of my body. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, whoa, I can, uh, there's so many more possibilities with this body and I only have one life to live here. I want to explore this bad boy and take it for a ride. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I might not be able to squat 485 anymore, but I can wipe my own ass. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know what? Like I took it to the extreme, obviously. Okay, I took it to the extreme where I'm not a, I'm not like frame, I'm not a very big guy. So genetically I could put muscle on fast and lift a lot of weight, but it, then it just, you know, through the angles of the muscles themselves, it was hard for me to move. Do you know what I mean? Like even if my muscles weren't the biggest in the world, and they were pretty big but not the biggest in the world, it was hard for me to access anything in my body because things would just run into each other. You know, muscles would like hit each other pecs would touch and the arms wouldn't move anymore, right? So if you're if you're like this, then you'll recognize what I'm talking about. And it's much better to sacrifice a little bit, go into a, a system like ATG or GOTA, I obviously love, uh, WEC methods, great, uh, functional patterns, explore something outside of the lifting barbell world into actually how to move your body. And if you don't like it, You've learned something and you can go back to lifting and apply some of the, you know, the principles of what you got from the movement practice into your lifting and you will enhance it. Yeah. I think, uh, like a cool, like focus on something. Like if you're in a lifting modality right now where your whole system is basically shortened and your fascia has lost its elasticity and everything like getting into a discipline that focuses on increasing your end range for a while, at least for like three months will kind of undo some of that shortened tissue conditioning that kind of like it this is my personal experience. And then when you get into some of these other movement practices, it'll kind of be easier for, for you to access some of these patterns that will create the security. I think re reversing some of the damage from lifting before you try to get into some of these things, like, you know, Gota can actually reverse a lot of the, the damage quote unquote that you do from lifting. But in terms of like the compressed, fascia and like the the really shortened muscle length i think doing like uh you know lucas aaron with range of strength he's a really good segue into some of this stuff because he still incorporates lifting into a lot of the end range work so if you're having any any programs from a powerlifting periodized sort of background right so you know having this lifting oriented end range training is a cool way to kind of re-lengthen your system get long and strong and then get into a movement practice that's going to produce security for your body 
after you've done it for like a couple of months and you've sort of quote reverse the damage to your system, get into a movement practice, right? Um, that's a that's about an hour and a half for episode 19 already. And this is one of my favorite conversations I think we've had in, in a while. I say that almost every time. It's like, yeah, that was the best episode ever. Like, yeah, I think we're our own biggest fans at this point. Although I got to say for everyone who has listened either live on nofilter.net, we see Michelle Drew is kind of tuning in today. Uh, and then we have, you know, we're creeping up on that 550 listener mark over Spotify and iTunes, which is still, um, you know, my mind is boggled. Um, so for those who are listening, thank you so much for checking out The Art of Move. We'll be back later on next week with another episode. On December 21st, we have Keegan Smith of the ATG system, which is one of the systems uh, that we kind of allude to in many of our episodes. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. And uh, I think next episode we could talk about goals. If you have a request for a topic, either shoot me an email at media at nofilter.net or message Will on Instagram at the Art of Move, and we'll uh, you know we'll talk about what you want to hear about. Especially if you guys have been listening since day one, or you've been listening on a regular basis, we'd love to hear what what stands out for you, and we'd love to kind of tackle the topics that are of most interest to our listeners as well. So thanks for listening, guys. This has been episode 19 of the Art of Move, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good one, guys.